I went through my files from back when I first started my business, and I collected, in the first few years of my business, I collected a number of different proposal formats. Yes. So I can share those with you guys today, too, great. just to give people other options. That would be great. Um, for how to do those. And, um, and maybe that's where we should start, is with defining our uses for these things. Yes. Because um, for me, there are times when people request a proposal which is really before we've gotten to the process of we know what they want to do and they're ready to sign. Right. And later on in the process, I can send a letter that's shorter that says, you know, here are the facts, here's what we're going to do, here's how we're going to do it, here are the time frames, here are the dollars, mm -hmm. let's go. You know, here's what you're accountable for, here's what we're going to provide. So I kind of do both. And I, what I sent around uh, for this call is really the... Let's assume they don't know what they want, and, we, and we've just had one initial meeting with them mm -hmm. to find out what they might want. And, right. and you know, that, let's put together something that's going to tell them a little bit of what to expect. Right. So that was my purpose with that one. It looked like to me, uh, Susie, that what you do in terms of training is that you offer an initial training piece before the coaching. Is that correct? Well, sometimes, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. It depends on what the organization's looking for. Right. Sometimes what makes sense to them is training, and they don't really understand coaching. So I can offer an initial training, but I always talk about how training is, is a valuable methodology for disseminating baseline information up front, and that it doesn't really get to the heart of causing cultural change, causing individual behavioral change. Um, it, it doesn't even always fulfill what training is intended to fulfill, which is integrating new knowledge and new skills into the workplace. Right. So I often talk about how, yeah, training is a great way to get a lot of a lot of baseline information to a group of people at once. However, what it, what most organizations are looking for is, well, this guy's at this level and this woman's at this level, and the, you know, and this group needs this focus, and they often want much more individualized things. I talk about how coaching is really individualized or small group training that's tailored to the specific needs of those individuals. Mm -hmm. But when you do a training piece with the coaching piece, yeah. uh, obviously it, it differs depending upon the organization and their needs. Right. But could you give us an idea of what that looks like if there is just like an example of something like that where there's both? Well, I just did a proposal for a law firm in Philly that wanted diversity training. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want coaching at all. They didn't think about it because they didn't know it. So in the proposal, I talked about the diversity training, which is wanted and what they came to us for. Right. But I also built in all that stuff about coaching to prove to them. And really what I was saying to them in their situation is, you know, with, with law firms, your attorneys have to be billable most of the time if not 125% of the time like it is in some firms. Yep. So if, if you're taking them out of, tr out of billable time for training and you're taking a number of them out of billable time for training, not only does it cost the firm the cost for bringing us in to do the training, but it costs the firm lost billable time for however many attorneys you've got in the training at once. Right. Mm -hmm. And coaching, voila, is the perfect solution because we can tailor that to the multiple schedule demands of the different attorneys. Uh, it's you know, we can work around their billable time, and we can tailor the we can tailor the issues more specifically to what they want to focus on, rather right. than assuming everyone's at one level and going from there. So, how many hours for them, or how many days of training will you be proposing? Well, we proposed. See, knowing again the realities of the right. law firm market, we proposed 
half-day trainings, which would be a, a way to, to talk about some of the baseline issues of diversity that the firm is facing, but really not get into depth on any of them. So how many, like five or three or four? Two? We four. proposed four half-days uh -huh. um, spread out over time. And then the coaching coming off that. Right, and the coaching in between that as well. And we right. also proposed that if they wanted to have more control over costs, that coaching could be instead of that. So right. we don't even have to do it as a baseline. We can right. just offer coaching to whoever wants to take advantage of coaching around diversity issues. Right. Do you get, in as much as you're providing a volume of coaching services, and you, I noticed that you do list an hourly rate that you bill by, do you get pushed to reduce the rate based on volume? Your hourly rate? I don't get pushed to, but I offer it. You offer it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So if, what will you if do? If they're willing that? to sign up for a year, a minimum. Right. If they're willing to sign up for a year, I'll I'll offer a fifteen percent discount. Okay. And that's just a straight discount on hourly fees. Okay. And I do have one client that um, I have been coaching them for. I've been coaching different people in the organization for I guess six years now. Right. And they've had a they've had a discount from the beginning. Right. Now they got a real discount over it. Your fees have gone up, right? Well, I've raised my fees with them, too. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, <laughs> but I still give them a discount. Yeah, I raise my fees every year with everybody because it got too confusing not to do that. And how do you handle that conversation? I do it in a letter. I say, you know, my, I actually do it at the beginning of the year, and, I, and um, in November I send out a letter saying my rates will be increasing uh -huh. effective January 1st. Here are the new rates, and uh -huh. we're interested in continuing to serve you. Uh-huh. And usually it's, I So you I do, it, you do it in a very similar way that law firms do it, interestingly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, I think that's why, I think that's what gave me the confidence to do it is because my clients are attorneys and they raise their rates all the time, willy-nilly, you know, for no apparent reason. Well, I at least do it once a year. But that's exactly how they do it also. They'll send you a letter in November yeah. for the new year, right? Well, or they'll send you a letter in May for the new quarter. Right. You know, they, Whatever. <laughs> they raise their rates whenever they want. Right. It's kind of like in, um, have you ever been to restaurants that have takeout menus and at the bottom of the takeout menu it says prices subject to change, <laughs> you know, for no apparent reason or something like that? You know, I, I just figure, well, if businesses can work that way, why can't we? Absolutely. You know, and I mean, the... The phone company, every once in a while, you get a bill from the phone company saying, by the way, your rates for this, this, and this have gone up, and, right. you know, you don't get a say in the matter, so. No, I was, I was not questioning you doing that. I just wanted to know what the mechanics of it were for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, and I tried to, I tried to keep people at their, at their rates when I raised my rates for other people as I was growing in the right. business, but I got so confused with everyone having a different <laughs> bill rate. It was really an accounting nightmare for me. Plus, it was an invoicing nightmare. I couldn't keep it all straight. Like, I couldn't remember who was at what rate and why and for how long and what their discounts were. And, oh, geez, you know, it just, it, it really cost me a lot of time in terms of having to sort that out every month. Well, I have that all over the board right now. I, I must say, I do manage to keep it clear for the time being anyway. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> so, um, Jerry. Yeah. How was it? Give uh, us the... Give us a two-minute version of your experience. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, this uh, gave, a, gave a paper at the e-learning conference in D.C. on how to dissolve resistance to change. Talked, All right. had uh, talked with Jeremy before, and he suggested I do a, a little marketing uh, thing, uh, which was to tack a tear sheet on the 
the last page of the of the handout, uh, asking them to to identify some of the the goals of that they plan to to do in order to resolve their resistance back home and give me their their contact information and whatever and tear it and leave it with me and I I uh, call them back and. Uh, must have had 50 or 60 people show up for the thing, which was the surprise since it was 5.30 in the afternoon of the last day. Wow, that's uh, great. And and about, um, I got about 15 folks to leave me tear sheets. Yay! So, um, and I have, um, a week later, I sent a little email thanking them and, and uh, asking I forget what what the what the words were, but basically, uh, you know, let, letting them know that I'm uh, you know, I'm here and and wanting to follow up on their uh, their issues. So uh, so yeah, I, I so I came back with with uh, 14 or 15 folks that uh, have some follow-on interest in in uh, in what I'm doing. And so, do you know what your next steps are with them? Well, the the first step. Well, the, what I'd offered was to uh, you know talk with them on the phone uh, and you know give them help, encouragement, coaching uh, on uh, the next step on their you know their little list of things that they were they were wanting to do. And the the initial thing was to just establish relationship with them, and then. That's next step. Then the follow-up step is, you know, as, as that starts to play out, then, uh, you know, then we uh, have a conversation about moving from sort of informal uh, advice into uh, into a, a consulting relationship. Barry, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you here for a little bit, if that's okay. Okay. Um, so if they're going to call you for coaching and advice over the phone, are you not going to bill them for that? Because you said it would be informal. Well, the the first step, you know, the initial step is a non-billable thing, right? Why? Uh, to establish the uh, the relationship with them. Okay, now let me ask you something. If you've established a relationship with someone where they where they are giving you advice, coaching, counseling for free, why would you want to start paying them for the same thing? Uh, because they haven't, uh, they haven't uh, taken me uh, you know, the full, the full. Uh, well, you know, I can use some help here, guys. But uh, <laughs> you're on your own, Jerry. I want you to make money. <laughs> hey, hey, <God. laughs> Jerry. You, you, that that was your suggestion too. So don't you don't you weasel out of this. <laughs>
Um, the reason being that if you're getting services for free and suddenly people start charging you, you're not going to want to pay because you've gotten it for free. Therefore, the value that you have for it is that it's for free. So if you charge people right up front, that, that shows that you value what you're providing and that they should therefore value what, what you're providing. And they'll treat you very differently if it's a professional relationship that they're paying for right up front. Um, and so, so let me just share with you sort of, I think it's great that you have these tear sheets and you have these 15 people, and I would say that these 15 people are now 15 hot prospects on your target list. And what do you do with hot prospects on your target list? You pick up the phone, you call them, you make an appointment. In that appointment, you start talking about what they can do, what their interests are, what their issues are, how you might be able to help them, and you move them forward in the sales process. I think you've got 15 people ready to jump in your pipeline in your sales process here. And if, if you wait for them to call you and start doing this informal coaching over the phone, not only do you not get paid, but they get something for nothing, which isn't going to have them value or want to value coming to you with, with dollars. And we want you to get dollars. They've heard you speak. You're already an authority. You've already got the credibility. They wouldn't have given you their information if they didn't want you to contact them and follow up. You're, you've set it up beautifully. You've set it up absolutely perfectly to, to jump, jump all of those people and plop them right into your sales cycle. Well, if I, if I set them up so perfectly, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> no, no, I don't think it's too late. I don't think it's too late. I think you're in the perfect place because you sent them an email thanking them for their interest. So now all you do is you have their phone numbers, you start calling them one at a time. You know, you want if you want to make 10 calls a week, make your, you know, call these people. Yeah, yeah, Probably, I, yeah I, I have one call already set up. Yeah, but just like we talked about on the last few calls, you make your appointments, you call them up and make an appointment, and that's all you do with the first call. And then if your second call is the appointment, you know, it's as if you're going to see them in person, you plan for that the same way. You ask them the questions about what they want to accomplish, you figure out what stories you want to tell that's going to weave it in, and you ask for the business. And you just start moving them through your sales cycle just like that. Assume, they, assume that, they're, that they're interested in buying your services or they wouldn't have given you their tear sheets. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and I, I, have, I, you know, I have no trouble assuming they are interested in my services. Okay? That's not the problem. You know, the problem is I created a, a fuzzy barrier, a fuzzy boundary. Uh, you know, by telling them, you know, I was willing to talk with them to help bring the uh, the workshop experience to you know, full circle, to, you know, to closure. Since when you you go to a workshop, you get all these neat ideas, you go home, and it's real difficult to apply them. So I offered to uh, you know to give them encouragement, coaching, whatever, in order to. Uh, help them bring it full circle. So you can do that, Jerry, and not be violating what you said by, 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 uh, by bringing it back to what Susie is suggesting here, that bringing it back into a, the sales concept, but also a coaching concept, where the, when you do have the next appointment, you talk, about, you talk about what they want to accomplish, you find out what that is, you help them clarify, you spend some time, Maybe that's you know two or three calls, but then it's understood after that that succeeding calls are at your rate, which are going to be in person or on the phone at such and such time over such and such period of time. 
and you make it clear how, how people can access you for what fees. Yeah, I absolutely agree that you don't have to you don't have to go back on your word at all here because you can weave in the follow up to the training and the personalization of the training with a sales call. That that really is a sales call. Even better that way. Yeah, absolutely. Because what you're doing in that call is you're finding out where did the training session hit for them, what's missing for them, where do they need assistance in bridging the gap between where they are having left the training and integrating it back into their work situation, what are their specific scenarios and issues that they're dealing with, and all of that is perfectly appropriate to find out in a sales conversation. And then what you do at the end of the conversation, and I would only do it in one call, is at the end of the conversation I'd say, great, it sounds like we probably need to spend about three coaching conversations together or six coaching conversations together and I can help you with this. And we can set up your coaching conversations starting next week and here's the billable rate and I'll send you a letter of agreement. And then you've just closed the sale over the phone. You're providing value in the sales conversation. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, yeah, I... And I, you don't have to give it away beyond that. Yeah, yeah, I, I realize that. I'm trying to integrate because that's, you know, that's been a, sort of a pattern going back 30 years. You know, it's been like, well, I need the experience, therefore, you know, I'll, you know, here's a way to get the experience. Well, why not get paid to get the experience? Yeah. Well, think of it as a paid internship. If you still want to think about it as getting the experience, it's a paid internship. Think about, um, well, I'm going to use the law firm model again because that's what I'm familiar with, is that associates are hired as summer associates. They get paid for that summer, and they're learning. They're learning about the culture. They're learning about the profession. They're providing value, but they're getting paid. You know, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's amazing to me because coaches, and this is something that I see all over the world with coaches, we, we are drawn to coaching because we really want to help people. We're in a helping profession, especially if you're coming from a psychology background, too. You know, you're a helper. You want to help people. Well, that's wonderful, and that's what makes the coaching community such a, a wonderful place to play. However, we keep wanting to give it away because we're so helpful. <laughs> And that doesn't help us. So why would they say no? They Listen, listen. They have heard you speak. They value what you have to say. They know that, you're, that you've got something that they want, and they gave you access. They gave you license to contact them. Yeah. They but, know they're going to have to pay for something, Jerry. They know. Right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So if they say no, it's not about you. If they say no... You know, it could be any number of things going on with them. It doesn't mean anything about you, and they're still in your list. You know what? You're going to sign up a couple of people, and you might have people who say no now who say yes later. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is Lou. Jerry, I, I have the feeling uh, that uh, when you gave your presentations, you were organized, and you had a format, and you knew exactly what you were doing. Right? And now, in terms of making the phone call, it feels unstructured and it's not planned enough as you had your presentation. But in terms of making these phone calls, these are really not cold calls as the initial ones were. So it's not a problem in terms of, of picking up the phone. But the problem it sounds like is um, you were going to offer something and you were offering it uh, uh, without concern about the dollar cost or whatever. And now you need a format of some way to integrate it into your conversations you're talking with. Yeah. So what I've, I've heard in a way, you know, since they know him already and they know, he could begin by structuring the call itself by saying, well, on this initial call, what we're going to be doing 
is this. And at the very beginning, That's we're, good. I like that. We're, yeah. we're going to talk about costs that would be involved in, in coaching and also your issues and what you want to address and your expectations of what you would want to have happen. So you, right. give it, you give it a headline is what you're suggesting. Exactly. Yeah, okay. you consider it the initial, the initial meeting. Right, exactly correct. And then and what you do is you're outlining on the telephone, you're telling them what you're going to be talking about in the call. I like that. And then at the end of the call, you'll, you'll, you'll tell them at the end of the call, you would like them to say one or two things. Yes, they're committed and they're going to they want to get involved with you in the contract, which you've already outlined uh, in the earlier part of the call, or no, this is not for them. And then everything would be very clear, so you'd have it very structured. Yeah. So, Lou, can you tell us when, when and how you used the one that you sent around to us? That uh, was a proposal that was sent out. I had a... a a phone call indicating an interest, and I had called back several times, and finally spoke to the person who had indicated an interest in coaching services for this uh, venture capital firm that uh, managed, uh, she said over the phone, uh, 44 other companies, and, and they were looking for coaching for management and uh, executive offices of the venture capital companies. And when I called, and finally got hold of her, and she wanted a list of my uh, my clients of some sort and uh, information about me or something like that. And she, and she said well, they were just inquiring in the area, and they just uh, were going to put it away in a drawer, <laughs> whatever I sent them. Yeah. So, but I didn't want that, but then I couldn't get hold of her again. In any case, so then I was thinking of writing a proposal letter to her, and I was batting it around, and then finally this one came out. It itemizes the company, uh, the scope of the engagement, and the testing that we would be doing, uh, the levels of confidentiality, and the fees, business arrangements. Now, is, is this one going to be kept in a drawer, or is this one actually going to get some consideration? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, to me, I don't know, but I, to me that's just rude, that she actually wants you to put time and effort into writing something to sit in a file. I mean, these Wall Street firms, Right. Oh, that's so rude. I would just be like, well, what would your file be interested in reading? Right. You know, I, to me, that's just so horrible. I don't know. I, I think that... But you could play with it like you're suggesting. Okay. Yeah, definitely. But I, but to, but what... Uh, well, you know, listen, do what you want. But to me, I'm like, well, I wouldn't waste my time writing something that's just going to... that's never going to be really taken seriously. It's just going to sit in a file. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think if, the, if you can turn that into a conversation rather than a... Sure, I'll send you something for you to file away. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's an opportunity to say, yeah, I'd much rather just, I'd much rather just sit down and have a conversation with you about it. How's Tuesday at five? Right. You know, and get back to getting an appointment because then you can judge for yourself whether it warrants spending your valuable time writing something. You know, whether they actually want to do something someday with it or not. Oh, that's absolutely correct. What Susie's suggesting, Lou, and I think it's a good suggestion is. Let's think for you in terms of other places you could be calling also because mm-hmm. this is uh, right. This is not going to be far fetched. This is a long term at best yeah. prospect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with long term prospects, but but think about you know we talked at length a few calls back about the amount of time it takes to be actively involved in networking activities and yes. the marketing activities and sales activities, yes. and if it takes 
tons of our time to be involved in all three of those kinds of activities, and we want the majority of our time to be billable time, right. then then we really start to to price our time differently for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like what do I want to spend my time doing? And you know, if I I think for my for my own rationale, my where I prioritize proposals that are going to sit in a file is at the bottom of the list mm-hmm. because there are probably things that that are going to yield a faster return. Mm-hmm for that same amount of time than, than doing that exercise. Unless, of course, you just want practice writing proposals, in which case, you know, it's fine. Right. Well, let's, um, let's come full circle back to the format for proposals. Yeah, the format. There are, there are so many different ways of doing proposals, and it really just depends on what your purpose is in doing the proposal and when in the sales cycle you want to use it. Um, but there is a model for proposal writing called the Gilberg model, and I am sorry that I don't remember Gilberg's first name, <laughs> but the model is situation, results, recommendations, rationale, implementation, and price. What, is, what happened after recommendation? Rationale. So I'll start at the beginning. Situation is where you describe the situation in the client organization. Results would be the results that, that they intend for you to produce in whatever services you're providing. The recommendations would be what you recommend they do in terms of first step, second step, etc. Then your rationale for why they should use your services or why they should follow this approach or why what you're recommending is going to get the results they want. Then implementation, which is how you're going to do it you know, six coaching sessions over three months, or whether it's a training session followed by 14 coaching sessions or whatever, for how many people, and then you price it out at the end. Um, There's another model that a colleague of mine used to use, which is, she called it the PSR model, which was problem, solution, results. So the problem is, is the first part of the proposal where you define the problem. The solution is where you give the potential solution, what your services could do to help them solve that problem. And then the result is what the client can expect. And you follow that up with next steps and pricing and recommendations, that sort of thing. Other models that I've collected over the years, one, this one doesn't have a name, but the first part of this is project overview. And that includes the context, the objectives, the benefits, what services we'll provide and what the deliverables will be. Um, the next one, the next step in this one is the project approach where you number the steps and do like a half a paragraph on each of the steps and include a proposed timeline. And then the program fees and then the payment schedule. And this is in the case of, um, I know in the case of training, a lot of people will ask for money up front, either 50% to secure the date or 25% upon acceptance of the proposal and then 25% upon some others, you know, they set up three or four different steps in gathering the money. Qualifications and references are the last two in that in that model. And then something that I that if I can, I like to include in a proposal. Now, obviously, if it's early on in the proposal and if it's early on in the sales process and you don't really know enough about what they want or what they expect, can't really do this. But I, if possible, I like to include in the proposal the success criteria. In other words, how they'll know that they've gotten the value they're paying for. Because then I can always go back to it at the end and use that as an evaluation tool as well. 
Let me ask on the references. Are you referring to testimonials? Are you referring to uh, other people who have recommended or you worked with? Well, it might be that. It might be we have provided coaching services to the following organizations among many others. And then, you know, you maybe list four or five organizations that are similar to the one that you're, that you're proposing to. Or it could be individuals for them to call. Or it could be... It, they don't always require references. It depends. You don't have to offer references. It all comes back to what you're trying to accomplish with the proposal. And just try different things until you find what works for you. I, I, I think that I'm always changing my proposal format. But I think that the, the idea of gathering these proposals is a, you know, is really helps us all because it just give, it gives you uh, more ways to think about different ways that you can be with clients and different ways you can serve them and, and earn a living. Right. I mean, the thing that I'm continually struck with, and I, can, uh, so I will note this from the experience I had uh, last week uh, at the seminar of the uh, emotional competence training, is that it's very hard for most folks to go in and sell coaching as the number one service. Coaching seems to be something that we can sell based on a relationship that we already have with an organization or an individual. It's based on trust, and it's hard to sell that, number one. It's a lot easier to sell your capability delivering some kind of HR service or doing some kind of assessment or assessments or providing something else first, and then over the course of training, and then over the course of time, or lunch and learn, and people seeing how you operate say, well, you know, tell me about this coaching thing, uh, and then being able to roll that out with them. Yeah, I think that's right. And it does get to the point where if you can offer coaching about a specific skill development area that's, a, that's in demand, that's then that could be a way in the door as well. That's, that's, that's even another way of reducing their uncertainty about coaching, or it could be a skill demand, or it could be, you know, if you're talking about emotional intelligence, it could be a specific topic or competence right. that people want to learn. Right. And, you know, an example of that is that um, actually next week I'm going out to Chicago to work with a law firm that I don't have a previous relationship with. They actually just, they, they called me out of the blue. Um, That's great. And Those the, are the best, aren't they? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's based on a referral, right? No. Actually, I... It's indirectly based on a talk that I gave in D.C. to the Legal Marketing Association about taking a leadership role in your, in your law firm. And then there was a woman at the session, there were about 65 people there, and there was a woman at the session who ended up writing an article for someone that she knew who has a website devoted to law people of some, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know, I just know that suddenly there was this article about my session on the web and the guy had gone to my website and downloaded my picture from my website so my picture shows up on this website next to an article about this training that I gave and then I get a call out of the blue from this law firm in Chicago who saw this article. That's, that's where, you, where you see your niche being successful. That's a great example of working your niche. It, and I didn't even work it. It just. Well, you you have previously by having it in the small area. I guess you, so. You're now getting, pardon me, reproduced. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, yeah, it was all pretty exciting. But what they've hired me to do is come out there and provide coaching for nine different attorneys who are who want some extra help in presentation skills. 
So I've got nine one-on-one sessions set up, and they didn't want to do it as a training because everyone wanted something slightly different. Uh-huh. So that's an example of, um, and I think, I actually think, Jerry, with the work that you do, that you could probably tailor it specifically to overcoming resistance. That's definitely a skill right. yep. that people will want coaching for. So I think that you have a good way in there to, to structure coaching specifically around that. Right. Some number I heard several years ago that may or may not have been true then uh, was they said that uh, when, you, when we give a, a public workshop or a public presentation, over the next five years, on average, 11% of the people who attend the, the presentation will come back for consulting. Wow. Well, I have to tell you, that story certainly isn't the norm for me. I mean, that was that's the first time anything like that's ever happened. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly not the norm. But I do often have people, you know, after I've given a talk, come up and want to want to know more, want to hire me, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. this this was completely out of the blue. The other thing is talking about, you know, people being skittish about coaching. Sometimes I get the impression that if the coach who wants to hear people validate them as coach, as, as doing coaching, rather than the, uh, you know, the client, it seems like the client is is more concerned about what's going to solve my problems. Yeah. And, you know, the normal jargon for that is some type of consultant, some type of assistance. And in a very real sense, coaching is one of several particular types of interventions. It's like a one-on-one training, one-on-one consulting right. type of thing. So one of the problems I have is, is deciding when to and when not to use the phrase coaching. And okay. when I look at what's going on in me, it's more uh, an, an exercise in my them to validate me as a coach mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, my wanting to solve their problem. Well, there's a distinction there because you're pointing to a really good distinction that's been batted around the coaching community for quite some time, which is what is the distinction between coaching and consulting? Um, and the, the definition that I heard years ago that pretty much is how I define it for my clients as the difference is that consulting means that I'm bringing an expertise to bear which will help you solve your problems and that I will offer you recommendations and suggestions for how to solve particular problems based on my expertise. And that coaching is where I'm a guide providing mastery in the process so that you can come up with solutions for your problems, so that you bring your own expertise to bear, but that I help you get out of your own way. Yeah, and yeah, I've heard that too. And the, the place that that definition of consulting works is when size of the body that you're doing consulting is a group or an organization. But when you're working in an organization with individuals on, you know, one-on-one, then the consulting that you do is very, very similar, if not identical, to what we do when we say that we're coaching. So to me, the, the big distinction is the size of the, the target group, because when it comes down to one-on-one, then it's damn near identical. The important thing is that you get the work. And you can call it what you want. <laughs> you get paid for it. <laughs> That's right. The important thing is to get paid work. <laughs> so where are we now? We have uh, about two minutes left in terms of we had, didn't completely cover the stuff. We have some things going forward and uh, uh, some homework or not. Where are we? I don't think there's homework around proposals. I think the purpose of today's call was just to share different approaches. Okay. Um, 
and next week is our call on networking, and we're going to really get into the distinctions about networking activities as distinct from sales activities and marketing activities. So we're going to focus there. Um, I, I would think that the ongoing homework in this class would be to make calls, make calls, make calls, get appointments, get appointments, get appointments. <laughs> Get paid gigs. <laughs> That's right. I, I do want to uh, point up one one nice thing that uh, came out of uh, uh, the proposal that you posted, Susie, that I think is very important for all of us to take a look at is it has a nice application and that you're proposing for the client multiple coaching engagements. Right. And um, I think that that's, Certainly in the definition where in the, in the area where I find my practice going, where I want to be doing, I mean, it's great to be working in an organization to be doing one coaching thing and, and something in another organization, but if I can leverage my work and my efficiency in terms of that I've known to that organization that they can reduce the learning curve because I know about it, mm-hmm. why not sell that at the outset if possible also, or at least help them think about that. Sometimes a proposal is a way of helping an, uh, an employer think about something we offer also. Right. I always like to propose a lot more than they say they want mm-hmm. because it gives them some food for thought for the future. Yep. And it also gives me the opportunity to expand the sale later on. Expanding the sale. That should be some topic that we have also. Yeah. Yeah, expanding the sale. That's, that's once you, you know, you close for a smaller amount, you get in, you prove yourself, and then you turn it into something more. Great. Or you carry it further. Okay, so let's go around the room and talk about reactions and comments from today's call. Uh, this is Lou. I really enjoyed uh, discussing uh, contracts and contracting, and, I, and uh, I just have to practice using a variety of different models, and uh, thank you. Thank you, Lou. Yeah, this is Jerry. I, I appreciated the help on, on how, to, uh, how to talk about the, the follow-up. That was very helpful. Thank you. Good. Jeremy, um, to me, as I said before, the the big benefit of this is looking at the multiple contracting possibility. Yeah, and this is Susie. I, the same for me. I really enjoyed seeing all the different approaches that everyone takes out there, and it reminded me that, that there are lots of different ways of doing it, and I often get myself stuck in sort of the, the format I'm using now, and it, it really was great for me to go back and look at all my other formats and see new possibilities. So, thanks. Great. Okay. Great. Thank you. See you all next week. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.